Welcome to Work, Rest and Slay, the podcast for the Image Business Club hosted by me, Melanie Morris. This podcast is about the real secret sauce that goes into living and leading a successful career. The stuff you don't see on LinkedIn, the stuff that actually is the hard grit and grind. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a professional, a multitasking hustler, someone who's just in the door of their first job or someone who's already established themselves in business, this is for you. At Image, we've immersed ourselves in the world of working women for decades. And in order to bring those with the best stories to our readers, I used to attend heaps of events back when there were events <laughs> and sift through loads of content on YouTube to put together the most perfect speaker panels and masterclasses. Because of course, it's not just about collecting an impressive list of names. As with everything else, the devil is in the detail and that's what I would go looking for. But I'd come back to Image and whatever I'd just attended, my friend, Image CEO, Clodagh Edwards, was always first to grab me and ask, so what were the nuggets? As in, when you deconstruct everything, which were the standout stories that I remembered? What was the magic and what were the key takeouts from the whole thing? And this is what we want to share with our Work, Rest and Slay podcast. We want to cut away from the jargon and the dressing that wraps around a story to give you, our listeners, the nuggets. To do this, we've established a really lovely community of sound, successful, talented people who are kind enough and honest enough to now cut to the chase and share with us the real learnings from their impressive careers. So whether you're out walking the dog right now or pottering around the house, or maybe just in dire need of an infusion of positivity and possibility, you've come to the right place because we're kicking off in style. We're so honoured to have Fiona Dawson, or more correctly, Fiona Dawson CBE as our guest on today's podcast. Fiona is someone whose career is the stuff of Instagram masterclass material. You know those videos that pop up with the likes of Anna Wintour and Diane von Furstenberg promising to share insider nuggets from their experiences? Well, we're going to do that here and now with Fiona. So a little background. Fiona is a Dublin native who went into Mars as a graduate trainee in 1988 and bar two years as commercial director of PepsiCo in the early 90s, she stayed with Mars throughout her career, working her way up the ladder until in 2014, she reached the very top. Global president, Mars Food, multi-sales and global customers. The full kahuna. Because I'm sure, as many of you know, Mars is a whole lot more than chocolate bars, although chocolate bars are important too. In this role, Fiona and her global leadership team were responsible for $35 billion of sales and 115,000 employees across 80 markets worldwide. Fiona's journey through Mars has seen her at the helm of Mars Chocolate and Global Retail, She's been the UK Managing Director of Mars Chocolate and before that, Vice President EMEA of Marketing. While Fiona has now recently retired from Mars, although I'm wondering, might she do a Sinead O'Connor on it and <laughs> find it hard to stay away? Fiona remains firmly rooted in the business world with a host of interesting board memberships and charity involvements. I could actually talk forever on Fiona Dawson's achievements, but I'd be eating into time that's far better given over to the lady herself. So to pick up the reins and get stuck into the meat of our conversation, 
May I introduce Fiona Dawson? Thank you, Melanie. It's the first time I've been compared with Anna Winter in the same breath. I think it's a slight... And Sinead O'Connor. And Sinead O'Connor. That, like, that, that is probably more relatable to me, to be honest with you. Fiona, thank you uh, for joining us on the podcast today. And now, I gasped when I heard that you'd retired recently, but that's not really the case, is it? Can you bring us up to date um, with the various plates you're spinning at the moment? Yeah, no, no problem at all, Melly. Well, I'm in the process of retiring, which is um, I'm actually physically going to leave on the 16th of July. And I've likened it to um, a computer that won't shut down. You know, those dreaded that spins and spins and you've got to press the button for it to do a hard shutdown. I think it'll probably be a bit like that because I was on calls this morning as I did my morning walk with my Australian team. Um, so, yeah, I, it, you know, I've sort of hit an age. I'm, I'm 55 now and... I've worked for Mars for 33 years. I've, I've been so blessed to have so many opportunities come my way that I've genuinely loved in the majority. There have been some really tough years, but in the main, I've really, really loved it. And I always thought there was another chapter I'd like to do. I've been heavily involved in issues such as female equality and um, social mobility. So I chair the Women's Business Council in the UK and I'm on the Social Mobility Foundation board as well. And having more time for some of that work is really exciting to me. Plus, as you mentioned, I've joined a couple of boards. I've joined the board of Lego, so that another family-owned business that's more than bricks, but theme parks, digital, gaming, um, movies, uh, a much-loved brand. And also I've joined the board of, of Marks & Spencer's, really different retail space at the moment, highly challenged. How do you pivot from in-store physical presence to online? They're, you know, they've got their food offering, which is doing really well. Clothing's been a bit more challenged and an amazing team of individuals. So all of that is, is really exciting. I, I think my, my family were slightly worried when I said I was going to retire about what was going to happen to them. They were going, oh, oh my Lord, you're going to organise us all. But um, so I think having definitely these different outlets will be really exciting. Gosh, and then, but it doesn't end there. You're also doing some charity um, uh, work. I'm sitting on the board of the follicular lymphoma charity, which is um, a blood cancer, which I've actually had myself. And it's about finding a cure for it. It's currently incurable, but people live with it and, and, and have it for forever. But they have treatment and they, they do well on it. But because it's underfunded, it is very challenging um, uh, for, for people to find a cure. Um, I also uh, do a lot of work with um, the Trinity Business School. So I sit on their board as well in an advisory capacity. And that's slightly scary because one of my first tutors in economics is actually head of it. So Jared McHugh, he is there. So that's quite awe-inspiring, to be honest with you. So I do an awful lot of work outside of it and I'm supporting another charity, but much more in an informal basis called SmartWorks, which is giving women confidence um, to get back into the workplace, maybe after a long-term leave of absence. So clothing, interview techniques, etc. Gosh almighty, loads and loads of irons in the fire then. I mean, Fiona, for a career that has spanned 30 something years. Um, you must have experienced so much along the way. And what I was hoping with our time together is that we could almost do a, can you remember those compilations? Now that's what I call music. If we could do a, now that's what I call Fiona Dawson and maybe filter some of your learnings 
that maybe you could share with our listeners as they might be out walking their dogs at the moment. They might be looking for a little bit of inspiration, especially at the moment when I think an awful lot of our anxieties have moved from, am I going to get sick? Are my family going to get sick? To, oh my God, now I've got to go back to being the kick-ass businesswoman I once thought I was. And, and we've all had a kind of an interesting time in our lives that, um, you know, suddenly, suddenly maybe the introvert is becoming extrovert again and we have to get back with, with our lives. We'd love to hear some of your learnings or some of your tips or some of your experiences along the way. Could you tell us a few? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I let me start with the here and now, actually, on on Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday's paper. I did an interview with The Times um, and it was it was it was a fine interview, but um, I got quite frustrated with it, actually, because the, one of the questions that was asked and actually ended up being the header, which really annoyed me, was um, women can't have it all if they want to make it to the top. And that was in, in response to a question from the lovely, lovely journalist who didn't mean to offend me, but hit a real chord with me, who said, so what do you think about the notion of having it all? And I... I hate that expression for many reasons. First of all, I think it's unrealistic. It puts unrealistic expectations on women. Mm. And you'll look at certain women in certain positions and go, oh my goodness, how have they juggled all of that? How have they have kids? How do they have a successful career? I don't think I could do that. But also everyone in every walk of life makes trade-off and choices that are right for them. Now, I'm. you could argue the more senior you get, the easier it is to make those trade-offs because you maybe have the finances, maybe you can set the tone and the rules yourself. But for people who are working their way up, it's really hard to juggle and to make trade-offs. And I do think that people look at women through a certain lens and expect them to be better. And I guess the lessons that I've learned have been very much related to that. Um, first and foremost, I'd like to think that I'm a, a, a good, a very good businesswoman and I like running businesses and, and that's what I would like to be known as. But as a woman in business, I do think you've had to try harder. Melanie, you and I met first back in the 80s, if you can remember and believe that. That's right. And it was a very different time for women in business in those days. Um, some ways it was easier because hostility was more obvious. You knew it was going to be tougher for you. It's a bit more subtle at the moment. Um, it still exists and stereotypes still exist. Mm -hmm. But I think if I look back to my previous self, I would say to her to try and not be so perfect. I, I, it's not that I was perfect, but I felt I needed to be. Mm. I felt I needed to work that bit harder, work that bit longer. I needed everything to be right. I needed to have the answer and I needed to sort out things by myself. And my top tips all relate to that, all relate to that journey and that I've been on and I'm still on, to be honest with you. Um, and it involved areas such as really trying hard not to personalise feedback, you know, and, and that changes. OK, that's an interesting uh, one. You know, Melanie, I can be feeling a little bit vulnerable, a little bit like I'm not on the top of my game and someone gives me feedback and I can still take it personally and think, oh, I should have done that. But in the early days, it was very hard for me to delineate between what was genuine constructive feedback and my feeling of I haven't done a good job. This is bad. I'm going to lose my job. What's happening here? Um, and that took a long while and a long journey to do. And, and to do, to really overcome it, you have to, 
kind of remove yourself, and I'll talk about that in a second, from the situation. Mm. Um, another important lesson I learned was probably when I was running the Irish business and I was GM back in um, 90, uh, when was I GM? 99, sorry, I was pregnant with Connor. And um, I really wanted to be liked by everyone in the Irish unit. I'd known them, I'd grown up with them, I'd come from Ireland, mm -hmm. they'd been my colleagues. Um, and I realized probably a year in that it was going to have to be more important for me to sacrifice being liked to being respected. Because actually people can like you, but they may not respect you as a business leader. And to be a business leader, you have to take tough decisions. You have to give some tough yeah. feedback at times. And that can be very challenging. Yeah. Um, and then I learned another lesson with regards to that tough feedback. And that was to be try and be hard on the problem, but soft on the person. Mm. You know, no one is trying their worst in day in, day out. They're not trying to do a bad job. So try and put yourself in their shoes. Try and say words that are supportive of them. I talk about this personalization. You know how it feels. Try and say, listen, I know you're working really hard in this. I really trust you, but we're not getting the results we need. You know, let's let's come at this together and try and not do it from a judgmental standpoint using very personalized language, but very focused in on the business issue. Can I ask where you learned that, Fiona? Was that through your own trial and error or? Trial and error, trial and error. I remember vividly the occasion. I was giving some very tough feedback to a girl who didn't get a promotion. And I had to give her some really difficult feedback about why not. And I knew she was going to be upset and I started to cry actually. Gosh. Um, yeah, because I was really upset that she was upset. And I had to realize this is not my problem. She shouldn't have to worry about you. You have to take yourself out of this. You need to, you need to give her the direct feedback. You need to stay calm and you need to depersonalize the situation. Um, and equally there was a there was a difficult person who was being very disruptive in the team. He was undermining me and my authority actually in the business. I was relatively young, I was sort of 32 at the time. And I didn't face into it because he was a bit of a ringleader, yeah? Okay. And I could see I was losing respect from people by not facing into that. And as soon as I faced into it and I was tough with him, even though that he was a couple of, you know, quite a bit older than me, I gained people's respect. Um, and I realized I got a greater buzz out of that than being liked. Does that make sense, yeah. Melanie? Yeah, no, that's, it's really interesting. And you're so right. Um, when, you're, when you're doing the hard on the problem, not on the person. Yeah. Do you have to temper your conversation and your words differently between genders? Do men accept feedback in a different way to women? Or is that being too general? Um, I think they can do... I think it's certainly true. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of syndromes out there. I mean, women seem to have syndromes, don't they? The imposter syndrome, the daddy syndrome. I don't know about any male syndromes, but um, they may exist. But you know, they women may be lacking in confidence. They may have this. The daddy syndrome is a very I don't like the expression, but the insight is kind of interesting, and it is around. Their, not their survival technique, but the, it's a very rude expression, but they will often play very small to be protected. 
Okay. So um, they will go, oh, I'm terribly sorry. I'm really, I feel awful. That's awful. I'm, I'm so sorry I've let you down. And your, your reaction is to want to comfort them. Yeah. And actually, with a lot of women that I've dealt with, <laughs> they come to me now. They say, we need the big Fiona pants uh, talk. Because I'll just go, come on, listen, now stop. You know, that's going to get you nowhere. Let's move on. And I, and I do it with strong women who I know will get there. But their default will often be to go and apologise and play small. And that's what that syn- syndrome is meant to be. And I think a lot of Irish women actually particularly would be prone to that. Very apologetic. I'm terribly sorry. Oh, God. They, you know, I'm nearly ahead of time apologise. I'm sure this isn't good enough, but anyway, here you go. Mm. And you really have to try and stamp that out, not to be rude to them. And this is hard in the problem and soft in the person because you know exactly where it's coming from. I know where it's coming from. I've done it myself. Mm. But there's a big expression of the energy you give is the energy you attract. So if you're playing small and if you're being apologetic and it isn't good enough, then people might actually assume that of you. Mm. So you do have to sort of sometimes... God, I'm using lots of isms, aren't I? Fake it till you make it. But you've mm. got to you've got to just go in and, and, and act that bit stronger, even though inside you could be feeling quite wobbly. It is a case of get the coffee into you, <laughs> take a deep breath and just go and get it done. And, and honestly, Melanie, what I've done and, you know, we've all done it and I still do it. I will I will get dressed. I will. If the better dressed I am, the bolder colours I'm wearing, um, if I've had my hair done, tick, 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 I'm more nervous because I am. You're more nervous? Yes. I, well, no, I've, it meant I was nervous going in because right. I, 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 I'm clothing myself. I'm getting myself ready for a big presentation, a board meeting or whatever. It is, I spend, <laughs> we actually, I have a WhatsApp group with some brilliant girls in work and we call it the very strategic WhatsApp group. Um, very strategic choices. We talk about what we're going to wear to meetings because Brilliant. Uh, you know what I mean? All of that stuff, I, it may seem trivial, but actually it gives you, I like to think of it, my armor to be able to act strongly sometimes. Well, I have to say for the worst things that have happened in my life, I have armed myself by getting a spray tan. <laughs> and I don't know why, but <laughs> when you're two deeper shades than your natural birthright for some reason it gives me the extra bit of welly that I, I know, need in it, order to face into whatever needs to be faced into I've had a bad I've only done spray tan once and I've had a really bad experience to it and I was going to a really important meeting in, in a hotel in Heathrow and it went really badly on my hands for some reason I ended up with it all over so I drove to Heathrow I kid you not with uh, rubber gloves on and um, nail polish remover <laughs> to try and get it off so I came into the room with blotchy hands and stinking of nail polish remover. But anyway, I might return to it, Melanie, and take your tip. It's great to know that the global president has these problems too. Oh, God, yes, definitely. <laughs> so moving along, give me another little nugget that you've gleaned along the way. Um, this came to me probably laterally when I was running the UK chocolate business. Um. And we were going through a particularly difficult year, about 13 years ago, maybe a bit longer. Um, And the business was going okay, but we weren't getting quite the results we wanted to. And I was starting to get very worried because I'd been doing the job for a couple of years that I was missing something. So 
we instigated something called a peer assist. And it's terrifying. What you do is you bring in lots of your peers from around the world to scrutinize your strategy. Um, and you know, this is this is coming from someone who wanted in their younger life to be perfect, personalized feedback, all of that stuff. Um, and they literally take it apart and pull it back together again. And we had like five tables of 10 people, so 50 people in the room, and they would report back with flip charts you know, my God, there was lots of positives in there. Isn't it always when you hear criticism, you go to the negatives, lots of positives in there. But they pointed out interesting things like even my language, some of my language I was using at that time, presenting the strategy was quite defensive language. And I remember walking around at the I did personalize some of the feedback and I was walking around the car park in tears with a good friend of mine who was saying to me, are you OK? And I, and I, I knew that I knew that I had to sort of go back in and be strong and go, thank you very much for all the feedback. But as it settled a couple of days later, I realized how beneficial the process had been. It was phenomenally empowering to share my problems, to have them critiqued, to step back. That's when I truly, truly, Melanie, began to depersonalize feedback. That's when I knew they were- Well, talk about going through the eye of the storm. Yeah, it really was. And it was from people that were friends of mine. They were my peers. Um, and that I rated a lot and I'm a pleaser, you know, all of the stuff that still is in me that I've overcome when I'm feeling good still can come out. But but the power of that and I've done it on quite a few different occasions and it's allowed me to be more courageous. It's allowed me to be more confident. It's allowed me to develop people even better because they then see that they're being listened to and their ideas are being adopted and they can challenge me mm. um, and giving permission for that challenge because sometimes can, people can see you and think you're a bit scary and do you really want the feedback so that was a very powerful cathartic moment for me even though when I went through it it was very very painful mm. Mm. I think it also shows that if you're brave enough to push yourself up to that that you do win the respect that you talk of that is important to get in business because you're kind of throwing yourself to the wolves on the basis that knowing that these people have to throw themselves to the wolves too. Exactly. I, I think you're, you're, you're completely right. And, and, you know, courage is something that can be very scary. But, but I think as well, I, I don't know whether it's being Irish, I don't know whether it's being, um, being a woman, um, but I think you, you often will have thought of the worst case scenario ourselves, you know, and you'll have it in your head, oh, this could go desperately wrong. This, And actually contingency planning against that with other people is incredibly powerful as well. So it does mean you've got your plan A, but actually your plan B, C and D. Mm. Because what I've learned in business and in strategy is it rarely plays out completely the way you thought it would be. I mean, who knew about last year? Mm. I mean, rip up every plan you had and start again with regards to, I mean, our business plan for last year was growth on the food business of, you know, very modest single digits. And we delivered really strong double digit growth. I'm not surprised. You know, everyone's cooking at home, you know, but you restructure your whole manufacturing base. You've got to get rid of a load of lines. You've got to move everyone home onto, you know, every business, every individual moved. Now, no strategy could plan for that but you've got to rely on the experts within your business to help you navigate through you can't do it yourself that's a very good point could you elaborate on that a little bit 
I yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really lucky being a general manager and running businesses because, um, and and I did what was called ESS in Trinity, now now known as Bez. Um, it, it's it, you're a generalist, okay, um, and you pull in expertise and specialism, and I guess that's what that peer assist really taught me how to do, um, and it allows you to take a step back and not have to do everything yourself. You don't have to be the best at manufacturing, the best at marketing, the best at sales, but you need to have great functional expertise around you. Have a curiosity. You can't delegate completely because there's times you need to get involved in it. And there are many things I could liken it to. I could liken it to a conductor in an orchestra who doesn't play all the instruments but knows how to put them together. Or, or, a, or a general, a, a GP who can sort out most things, but at times needs a specialist or a consultant to really go deep into your business. However you want to imagine it is how I imagine running businesses. Um, but ultimately, Melanie, you've got to be prepared to say it's my decision and I own it. Right. Your right. neck is on the line. You could lose your job. It is your decision. You have to take responsibility. You can't say, oh, but it was the head of manufacturing who took that decision. You know, if something's on your watch, own it and then you can course correct. So Fiona, how, and I mean, I think, again, I'm generalizing here, but I do think that women are, and women in business are people who find it hard maybe to completely delegate. And nobody wants to be the manager who dips in, dips out and is sitting on somebody's shoulder. And yet sometimes the desire, while it's lovely to be able to say in a meeting, I trust you. I kind of trust you, but I'm still itching to know what you're doing. How do you manage yourself in that delegating situation? You need to ask my team on that. I was, uh, I mentioned I was talking to a couple of people. I was just onto the our general manager, the guy who runs our, our Australian business this morning. Now I'm giving up operational responsibility tomorrow, Melanie, and handing over to a brilliant guy who I recruited into the business. And I rang him and I said, "Listen, you won't be surprised. I'm going to ask you." how's this month going in terms of sales? And he just started to laugh at me. So um, how do I delegate? I think there's a very powerful model called a 4S model. And it gives you as a leader, um, it goes S1, S2, S3, S4. So it's not terribly complicated, but it, it explains how and why in certain circumstances you have to be very hands-off. And there are times you have to be very hands-on. If somebody's struggling, if they're not listening, if they're being disruptive in the business, you have to get in and you have to kind of get into the weeds with them. Um, and there will be times when I won't have trusted the results coming through. I've been told certain things and they won't play through. My boss is an expression, the CEO, um, and he'll say, um, trust is the residue of promises kept. Trust is the residue. Of I love it. Yes. You know what I mean? If you keep breaking your promises with me, your plans, and you're not delivering, you know, the trust is going to be hard to be there. And business trust is very different to personal trust. Mm. We've all got people in our lives who we trust intimately with our deepest, deepest, um, you, you know, uh, secrets and what's going on in our lives and what have you. But you may not have them running your business. Yes. And equally, you've got people running businesses for you that maybe are not your best friend. So business trust and, and French, and you've got, again, this is delineate between the person and the problem and the business. Um, 
And, and, and I think you've, you've got to know enough detail that you know your business and you're on it and you need to know when to step back and let the team go. It's kind of a subtle balance. The other thing is, to be honest with you, you've got to, we believe a lot in 360 feedback, which over the years I've, I've really been valuable to me. What Could you explain a little bit more about what 360 <laughs> feedback 360 is? feedback is this process where you... Um, get feedback from your direct reports, everyone who works for you, uh, you just your, your immediate direct reports, uh, your peers, some of your peers, and then your boss. And so it's sort of 360. Um, and there'll be themes, and it's really interesting. Sometimes you'll get a theme from your direct reports that you don't get from your peers, or vice versa. They'll see a different Fiona. And you'll go, that's interesting, I need to course correct. Um, and so sometimes the team will say, you need to let go a bit more. Mm. Uh, you need to bring us in a bit more. And then you go, oh, I'm going back. I'm controlling again. I need to. It, it'll often be in times of crisis. I'll start to try and control things. You know, because, I, gosh, Melanie, I'd love to say I've cracked all of this over 33 years. You, 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 you know, it's still in you. The little girl is still in you. The 21-year-old the, the who, who joined Morris is still there. She's just learned that she's much happier <laughs> when she does delegate, when she doesn't personalize, when she doesn't try and be perfect, when she's authentic and vulnerable about her own issues, because it then gives freedom for others to be authentic too. Fiona, do you do a kind of a regular self audit or how do you keep yourself on track in business? Well, yeah, I did the 360 feedback and at various stages, I've had different coaches for different phases of my career. I had a brilliant coach who, when I was transitioning to become a global president, helped me a lot, actually. Um, and it was she who identified in me this need to fight the whole time and to prove and to, you know, I always... If somebody said to me, my boss used to say to me, and he knew it would motivate me, which is really perverse, he'd say to me, you can't do this. I don't think you can do this, or I don't think you can believe in this. Um, and I'd really get angry with him, and I'd want to do it, and I'd, I'd prove him and stuff. But you know, it's not necessarily a healthy way to be. And, and she, she told me, you know, you've, you've, you've just got kind of warrior tendencies that are appropriate at times, but other times you need to keep them in check. You don't always have to be fighting everything on every front. Um, and that was helpful. Sorry, can I ask you, um, how do you find a good business coach? Because I'm sure there are an awful lot of people listening to this and, you know, it's, it, it's a great idea to have somebody who will give you feedback and who might mentor you, maybe more than another business person, maybe somebody who's qualified in the coaching side of things. How do you go about the process of finding the right person? You've got to get the right chemistry. You, I, I've, you know, we'll, we'll have done sometimes, and a lot of companies do these, where they have sort of management leadership coach um, programs and you're assigned a coach in those. And honestly, I found most of the times I haven't really clicked with the coach. Um, they've sort of been a little bit too superficial. And <laughs> sometimes I've just told them stuff just to nearly, you know, finish it, you know, just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I find myself doing that with people. Your, your help, it's like a fortune teller. Yes. My, my father's name is this. <laughs> yes, it's been a bit like that. So the ones that have really worked for me, 
and the reason they've ended have become they've become more like friends and I've stayed friends with them than they have with coaches but they're the people I can be truly truly open with and and express where I where I'm at and we we do in work um this development plan which is called a from and a to um you know and I, I I'll often say you know how I'm seen as a leader who from would be a from who's um, very operational, good at running businesses. This is when I was running the UK to someone who is more strategic, able to manage at a global level. That would be the two. And you'd be working on that and say, okay, how do I navigate through that? Does that make sense to you? So I'll always have a from and a to that I'm trying to move forward to on a sort of personal growth. And it doesn't have to be work specific but it will always be trying to move forward gosh can i ask you going back to the having it all Mm, Um, yes my favorite expression that and superwoman i mean i just cannot abide either of those titles (laughs) checks notes avidly (laughs) um how have you been able to keep uh fiona dawson alive through all of this um well for starters, I have been incredibly blessed to have married a guy from uni who knew <laughs> what he was getting into because I was that undergrad when he met me. I was that sort of fiercely, you know, wanting to be the fighting for the underdog person. Um, and Nigel um, has been amazing and he's probably my greatest cheerleader, actually. Um, and at various stages in his career, he's had to give up his job to move with me to Holland. He had to retrain. He then had to retrain again when we moved back to Ireland. Um, and he's also done things like gone part time when I've had to travel a bit more. Mm. So it, it was incredible. But Melanie, it was really interesting during that period of my life. And these are with well-educated people who I would like, um, and, and and some who've now become really good friends, when they first met us, they would automatically ask Nigel, so what do you do? And they would say to me, oh, you work? Do you work full time? Mm-hmm. And and so there's this, you know, even in our generation, there are these still t- stereotypes of what you did. And, and I would get to the stage where I, I, Nigel would say to me, tell people what you do. You know, when I was running Mars, I would say to people I worked in sales because I didn't want to have this baggage of, well, then you mustn't be a good mother or you mustn't, you know, you mustn't care as much. You you know, these the choices I've made are not the choices everyone else would choose to make, but they are the right choices for us and our family. Mm. And actually, when the kids saw that, <laughs> Jack, my kids are now, Jack's 18 and Connor's 22, Jack saw the title, um, it was online. They changed it to the in-print version, which was very good of them. Um, but um, he said, oh, he said, I, you're not going to be happy with that title, Mum. I know you're not going to be happy with that. And Connor was saying he's 22. He said, you know, he, was, he said, yeah, you travelled, but, you know, that's about it. So I don't mean to make light of the sort of sacrifices or the choices we made, but they were very conscious choices, Melanie. Okay. Yeah, so before I took up a travelling job, I talked to the family. How are we going to feel about this? You know, what if this is impacting us as a unit, it's going to have to stop. And I've also made choices where I haven't gone abroad for a promotion because I didn't want to move the kids out of school. Other people would make different choices and they would move their kids. And that is perfect for their family unit. And as I said to you, er, you know, earlier, I've been lucky because I've made those choices in a really supportive environment mm. with a partner who 
flexes with me and I couldn't have done it without him. Mm. And I've got finances that I can have someone in to help me clean the house. Mm. And there are millions and millions of women and men every day who can't make those choices. They have to do what they have to do. Can I ask, I mean, you you seem to be somebody for whom communication is essential and you're great at communication. How do you feel about confrontation? Um, I used to like it, you know, going back to the wanting to please. Um, I quite like it. Um, <laughs> Why am I not surprised? I quite like it, but I don't. I don't tend to be, unless somebody, if somebody's crossed my value set, if I think they're doing something that's deeply unfair to another individual or disingenuous to someone else, so they're nice to their face and stabbing them behind their back, I will get really cross. But but outside of those sort of common areas that I think a lot of people would be in the same boat, um, confrontation I just see as an opportunity, to be honest with you, because it just means that somebody's coming from a very different point of view to you. And when they get angry or they get frustrated, really trying to get to the bottom of it and understanding and putting yourself in their shoes of of, of why they're why they're coming there. So very few of my relationships would be truly confrontational. We've had ding-dongs, um, but they've been strong differences of perspectives. But you've got to place them in a sense of empathy of where the person's coming from. Unless, as I say, they're being deeply racist or sexist or whatever, and then then, then I've got no time for them. I wouldn't even bother, to be honest with you. Yes, of course. W- would I be right in thinking, just in synthesising what you're saying, that confrontation actually isn't hugely scary if you're somebody who keeps communicating? Because then... The, the confrontation in adverted commas isn't as big a monster to have to slay because one has already been discussing the issue. You know, it's not a case that you're opening the door one day and going, do you know what? No, absolutely. And and actually my team would say this of me when you say about, you know, getting into the detail or confrontation or what have you. I do operate on a no surprises basis. So I okay, say, to the, I say to the team, I say to anyone, bad news is is fine. There will always be things that are going wrong. There will always be challenges. There will always, will always be decisions that maybe you don't agree with, but I got to know about them soon and quickly. Don't surprise me and don't come back. And we call it hands from the grave. We've made a decision and suddenly you're going, well, I never agreed. That will really get me wound up. So as long as you're giving me a heads up on things, as long as we're dealing, then we can deal with it. Then we can face into it. It's absolutely fine. Um, so I think facing into confrontation not head on. The other thing, Melanie, you've got to do is I'm a, I'm a big feeling person. I'll often feel things before I think them. Mm. And if you're feeling there's an emotion in there that could be very negative, go for a walk, calm down, start to think about it, depersonalize it. And I'll always try and face confrontation in a very calm, centered way, even though the feelings beforehand may have been to, you know, the classic think before you send the email yes before you text you know that was my new year's resolution of 2018 and it's been the biggest game changer of my life there you go because that once that emotion's gone and you can actually see it a bit better you'll go i was overreacting to that or i was tired yeah 
or maybe I'll just put that away and look at it another time. Look at it another yeah. time. Or actually, do you know what? It doesn't really bother me at all. That could, They can hold yeah. that view because it's not worth sweating it. Yeah. I love hands from the grave. Is that the kind of person who retrospectively goes, I told you that would never yes. work? Yes. Yes. Or I never agreed to that anyway. Or, oh, you know, you've, 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 you've landed a decision and then they'll come back and they'll go, oh, but another thing. Now, there'll be occasion when that is absolutely the right thing to do. You'll have made a decision and you do need to change it. But, um, you know, it's a bit like speak now or forever hold your peace kind of a thing. Mm-mm-mm. Can I ask you a question that relates directly to, I have a copy of your CV here and I have to say, having heard of kind of food porn and gastro porn, this is career porn. No, this is not. absolutely the, dream, the thing not. the dreams are made of. But um, there's one thing that I would love to know a little bit. Well, there's many things, but one thing in particular, um, when you were managing director of Mars Chocolate in the UK, um, one of the things you did was improve employee satisfaction to the top quartile, which obviously means jumping up um, employee satisfaction. How do you do that? Um, well, it's not me per se, it's the team. And mm. it, it's around it's around really listening to people. We, we have a survey, a Gallup questionnaire again, which a lot of people will have. They will, they'll use these surveys to gauge it. And roughly you can categorize teams into players, those people who are highly engaged, passengers, those people who are neither engaged nor disengaged, are kind of along for the ride. And then the actively disengaged who you call prisoners. So players, passengers and prisoners. Mm. And prisoners are people who don't want to be there. They're in prison. They don't like the place. They don't agree with the place. They don't feel their opinions count. Um, but they don't want to leave um, for whatever reason. And you need to really make sure that you keep your players engaged and you try and tackle some of your prisoners, the people who are really not happy being there for whatever reason. Maybe they've got too many pressures at home or what have you. Um, what you've got to make sure with all of these questionnaires, Melanie, is it doesn't become a tick box exercise and people feel forced into giving you a really high score. So you conduct lots of listening groups. You really get you know, their views on the table. Um, and it's a very enriching experience, actually. Um, and, and subsequently, Mars UK has gone on to be one of the greatest places for women to work, which I'm really proud of, um, and continues to have really strong engagement scores. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great place. And I really disagree with people who say when a business is going badly means that people will be disengaged. I've often found that sometimes in our toughest years, people have been more engaged because they're all in it together to try and solve it. Mm-mm-mm, absolutely. And and so basically the answer was listening to feedback, actively listening to feedback yes. from all three sectors yes, of the yes, workforce. Yes, 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 yes. And which were the ones that turned around? Was it the prisoners who turned around more or was it the players? Sometimes it can be both, um, the, the prisoners and the passengers. Sometimes it's really interesting because when you have these listening groups and you've got people who are actively disengaged in the group, and the group talks to each other, people will challenge them and say, listen, this place is great. Look at what's happening here. Mm. I've seen this change. I think you're wrong. I think it's actually you're coming in with the wrong attitude. And it's nearly 
peer-to-peer. That's what I'm saying. This wasn't me. It was around facilitating those dialogues and allowing them to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask you, what was the worst day of your career? Oh, my goodness. There have been many, many really tough, difficult days. But the worst day of my career was um, when I ran the Irish unit and deeply tragically one of our associates passed away on a sales conference in the middle of the night a really great associate um Mm. and that was incredibly incredibly difficult because it was in the time of mobile phones just starting and we were really I was really worried that his family would hear first and how would it manage and Mm. when somebody too young passes away so suddenly it's just a shock for everyone and it really brings the business down to what all businesses are about which is around people yeah um and it's a very human business and it's a very fragile thing um and and that was without a shadow of doubt my worst my worst day and I wanted to deeply grieve for him and with the associates but you have to kind of get it together and make sure that you're in charge and you know you're 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 giving a sense of calm to people who are deeply distressed so I, I this look his family was his his tragedy was his family's tragedy and I don't want to in any way claim it was my tragedy but it was one of the worst days for me because it real it made me realize how fragile everything was around us and not to take it for granted yeah 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 um, gosh, that and, and I mean that is something that would stretch to a lot more than a day. So. It does, and it, you know that was Melanie. That was over twenty years ago, and it's still with me that day. I and can remember, remember it vividly. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, moving on to happier things. Yes, I would love to hear about getting a CBE. <laughs> Tell us. You see, I always think you see the Brits are trying to claim you as one of their own and we will let them for the occasion of giving you an honor. Well, but I actually, hope they it's know. Not, it's 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 um it's slightly yeah, it's it's slightly different. It's an honorary CBE because I'm I'm still I'm still very much an Irish citizen. I don't have dual citizenship. So, I haven't received it yet uh, like in person. Um and it was really surprising, to be honest with you. I think what was what really was incredibly, um, I guess I was incredibly moved by was that it was um, given in recognition of services to women and the economy. And I was really delighted that some of the stuff we're doing on behalf of women and gender equality is recognised. Um, you know, and people may think, oh, it's 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 because of the Morris job and and maybe there's an element of that. But the work I do in this, which is why I'm doing this next chapter of my life with women and healthy yeah. women is is really important for me. Gosh. And so um, does one get a letter? Does one get a phone call? How does it come about? I don't know because whether it's an honorary because it's honorary, but I got an email through Melanie. Right. I got an email through on a Thursday and my dearest, loveliest aunt had passed away in the morning and I was really distressed. And in the afternoon, I got an email from the foreign office and um, it said that I'd got a, an honorary CBE and yada, yada, yada. And I had to call them back just to make sure I was I was waiting for somebody to say, and could you send the payment details yeah. <laughs> to Nigeria? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I was convinced. 
it was a scam and actually I didn't tell anyone until I saw it on the website and I knew no it must be it must actually be be quite true oh my goodness so well um, congratulations well, thank in advance you very much. of the big day and do you know when when your your big award will be given to you no I need to follow up with them it's one of the things on my to-do list to be honest with you but I love it <laughs> I am. I am, and again, I know I asked you this live when you very kindly came to Dublin to speak at one of our networking breakfasts many, many moons ago. But for the for, for the people who are listening that weren't there that day, you had a very important guest on your Maltesers production line a few years ago. Will you please tell us that uh, we, story yeah, again? It was it was it was amazing. We had um, we had the Queen and Prince Philip came around the factory Um and that again was another surreal moment. I got a call. I got a call from um, the left, Lord Lieutenant. You, you, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people who sort of sound you out first. And I got a call, and and my my great assistant, we're open plan office. My great assistant Jane says the Lord Lieutenant's office is on, and and we'd been in contact with them before. There'd been previous visits of different people, and they put through the call, and they said. Um, uh, Fiona, we were just wondering whether Her Majesty and Prince Philip would love to come around the factory um, on occasion of your 80th anniversary and yada yada. Yes. I stood up in the middle of the office. I was on the phone, one of those, you know, handheld phone. I stood up and I was going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. And then the kicker came in and they said, but you can't tell anyone until <laughs> the day before. So we spent, we, I couldn't tell anyone. I then was able. So they'd seen you jump up. They in saw the me office. jumping up and down, really excited, um, because Windsor Castle is really close to where we are in Slough. So we jumping up and down. Couldn't tell anyone. I told was able to tell a very tiny, tiny team, including our security and our head of manufacturing, mm. and we had to pretend that our one of the owners was coming over. Yeah. Um, and and until I think it was the week beforehand, we were able to tell our associates that she that she and Prince Philip were coming out. And you know what really struck me, Melanie? Um, and you can be a monarchist or not a monarchist, but as a person, she put everybody at their ease. You know, she's 94, 95 now. And, you know, to be able to still do that, to put people at their ease is a huge gift mm, mm. for people. And everybody that she and indeed he met that day came away beaming, remembering it. They told their families. They touched so many people. So, yeah, it was an amazing honour. Amazing honour. Oh, my goodness. And she did a tour of the full factory? She did a tour of part of the factory, not all of the factory. You, you, we didn't want to put the Queen into a hairnet. We didn't think that that was very That was very going to good. be my next question. <laughs> no. So we had the part of the factory. We actually put a hole in the wall in the factory <laughs> so she could walk through it and without going to the area that, that some would be food safe and she would need oh, to. Oh, fantastic. So even for the Queen, we didn't break any safety, uh, food safety <laughs> standards. Yeah. Can I ask Fiona, does one give the Queen a chocolate goodie bag on the way home? We did. We made it's our amazing chocolatiers made this incredible um, Windsor Castle um, replica, um, and they snuck in some M and M's as beef eaters in the back of it. So I never know what happened with it, but they graciously took it away with them. Br well, if the M and M's are good enough for the White House, they're certainly good enough for Windsor Castle. <laughs> now, Fiona, can I just to sum up? Can I ask you a few quick questions? Sure that hopefully will tell us more about you. Um, your favourite Mars chocolate product? Uh, Revels. 
Definitely. I have my own bag here um, that they yeah, made I me see. when I left. Uh, Revel, but it's got to be the Toffee Revels. Toffee Revels. I don't, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like the fondants and I will, would go around picking out the Toffee Revels out of all the bags and people would know I'd been there. We would be very Desert Island compatible because I love the fondants. There you go, you we're, we're away. Ones. That's it, perfect. Brilliant, brilliant. How do you power up for a meeting? I mentioned this a bit briefly. Um, a, you've got to know, know your topic. Uh, do all the pre-read, do any additional thinking. And then I will, I, will, I will dress well to be on top of my game. Uh, could you talk us through what your um, kind of business uniform is? Oh, Melanie, I will constantly look through the pages of Image and I will search for the day that classic is back in fashion because that is me. I'll put a couple of twists that I will think of incredibly daring. But if you looked at it through your critical eye, you would see someone who is quite classic in terms of their dress with maybe a nod to fashion. I think as I've gotten older, I've become more comfortable and confident in colours as well. I would have been quite muted when I was younger, maybe not wanting to stand out with my dress. Um, and now I'll make I'll wear much bolder colours, definitely. Lego will love you for that, I would imagine. Are you an early morning girl or a night owl? Definitely early morning. I love early mornings. I'm hopeless in evening time beyond 10 o'clock. Are you still running early in the mornings? I do. I do run and I do walk. I, I mix it up between the two of them. Yeah. So top tip, you go to an event. Yes. You know nobody. Oh, many. What yes. do you do? I will often gravitate to the person who's on their own as well. I was, when I was in, when I was in Trinity, um, I wasn't a smoker at all, but we could still smoke inside in those days. And I would go to what was called the chocolate boxes. And I would sit on a chocolate box and ask people for a cigarette or for a light. And it would sort of break it. So if I see somebody and they're on their own and they'll often be on their phone, I'll ask them, oh, do you have the code for the internet here? Or gosh, it's very, and it'll be something as banal as that. And often they'll be incredibly interesting people, but quite shy. I'm quite shy in a situation like that, but I know that I've got to do it. I've got to be there. So I look for the people who are also on their own. <laughs> That's a the great tip, actually. The simple questions are the ones that opens, open the exactly. conversations, aren't exactly. they? Exactly. Yeah. Um, if, you ha have you a if you had a dream side hustle, what would it be? I think I would have, I would have genuinely, I always wanted to go into politics. I think I would have loved to have gone into politics. I don't think I would have liked the politics of politics, but I'd love to have had the ability to sort of get things done on a sort of a meaningful level, uh, you know, broader for the economy. So I would have loved to have done that. Uh, I guess I would love to have been an actress. That would have been amazing. I would have loved that, but I, I, I would be too nervous to do that. Well, never say never. Because you know what, business, there's a certain amount of acting involved in there presentation. Is, I guess, presenting yes. and yeah, yeah. I guess. Was there any particular meeting along the way that changed your career? A particular meeting that changed my career. Um, sorry, I'm hesitating here because there have been so many of them along the way. Um, and there was a particular meeting that I went to, which um, was with Jackie Mars, who was one of the owners of the business. And she was talking passionately about food and her belief in food. And I didn't realise that that was back in 1990 of all times. I didn't realise that would ultimately set me on the road to running the food business. And in fact, I had a session with Jackie last week and, you know, it, it's just been such a great journey working for her. 
and to see out her dream of her business. Oh my goodness me. Well, maybe then uh, it would be a good time to wind up. Uh, and my last question for you is in your entire career so far, because obviously there's a lot of, lot of rope left here, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the people. I'm most proud of the people. Um, seeing, I've got, I've got so many of my historical teams who are now done incredible things, either on a personal or a professional basis. So I don't view success as being at a certain level, but seeing them develop and be happy with who they are and their place in life, it's so amazing. Too many people worry unnecessarily about what other people think. And once they embrace who they are and be there, I talk about authentic self, that sounds a bit self-helpy, but really being your authentic self and realizing what we've all got, you know, flaws in our personality and it's okay. Sometimes that's what makes you more likable than all the perfect stuff. Actually, that's so true. And it gives you a bit of a USP about yourself as well, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And seeing those people grow and develop. And in fact, the person who's taking over for me, I recruited into the business and that's equally as wonderful to see them coming and taking over. So no, that it's all, all about the people. Oh my goodness. Well, considering you've 115,000 of them, that's... <laughs> well, they're not all mine. I sit on the global leadership team. So it's a collective responsibility, a collective well, it's, responsibility. It's a lot of smiles to be responsible for one way or the other. Fiona, I don't believe that you're going to be retiring from Mars. No, but I hate the words. Me, I, I, I need to be, Melanie, you've got to find me a new word, stepping down or a new chapter or something like that. But retiring feels to uh to, to to so i can't be that person yet that's for sure it's it's like that you can one can never say goodbye one can only say so long isn't that it that's i love that <laughs> i will i will steal that from you Naomi. thank you well fiona thank you so so much for being with us today there's so many takeouts but the one that i have taken out myself is trust is the residue of promises kept and I absolutely love it. So thank you for sharing so much. My and pleasure. And giving so much to move forward with. Thank you very, very much, Fiona. My pleasure. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that first Work, Rest and Slay podcast from the Image Business Club. And I hope it gives you a taster of what we really, really want to achieve with the Business Club. We want to give you information we want to empower you and we want to bring the kind of learnings that really you only gather when you've been in the trenches and risen up the ranks over a certain amount of time. It reminds me of that writer Malcolm Gladwell who claims, and I think correctly so, that you need to spend 10,000 hours at something to become an expert. And basically once you've done your 10,000 hours, you know what you're talking about and you know what you're doing and it's very, very intuitive. So what we're trying to do is glean in to those people who've done the 10,000 hours so we maybe can take a few shortcuts. Is that a very cheeky thing to say? Uh, Fiona Dawson has been an amazing, amazing speaker and she's been so generous sharing all of her knowledge. Um, I think she's one of those people, you know, the, the great cliched question about who would you have um, at your fantasy dinner party? She'd certainly be one of those. And if one was able to uh, appoint a fantasy board of directors, I'm putting her in as the chair of mine. So please 
join us over the next few months. We will have more members of my fantasy board joining us and uh, all of them sharing more and more insights from their worlds of business. And we hope to choose people from all sorts of different walks of life. So hopefully there'll be plenty to inform, entertain and hopefully enhance your working life. Thank you very much. And obviously, also, I should say all information about the Image Business Club can be found on image.ie. See you soon.